Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Who Dat Jedi podcast. And uh, this is uh, day seemingly forever of quarantine. Um, but with you, as always, I am Aaron, and I'm with Fredo and Dave from all points in New Orleans. Say hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. And uh, so, you know, it's we, we, there's a lot of news going on, and we call ourselves the Who Dat Jedi podcast. Gentlemen, we need to talk about some Who Dat stuff first, because first of all, well, it still ain't a done deal, but we dance. Hamlin near lost Alvin Kamara. You, it was like you heard, you know, Obi Wan Kenobi say, "It's as if a thousand voices cried out in terror, and then were suddenly silenced." I mean, that's the way everything was here. What was that? That was Wednesday. Two days ago. Yeah, Tuesday. Yesterday. Tuesday. 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 And uh, it's Tuesday, yeah, because uh, the rumor dropped that uh, um, the Saints were shopping around trading Alvin Kamara. And everybody went, what's a, what's a, what? I think I saw Fredo's tweet first. And I was like, no, this can't be. And, uh, oh my goodness. Um, it was like, it was like the scene in, in Spaceballs when they, uh, hit the, uh, evacuation, uh, signal and everybody all of a sudden everybody's running for the hills. That's right. The bear is getting in the escape pot. You know, the, <laughs> the, the thing was, you know, I was like, this had to be, this has to be like somebody, either somebody in the Saints office who is just like trying to make themselves feel important because it's not like they dropped the info to Schefter or Ian Rappaport. They dropped it to some reporter that really nobody knew, you know. But then, you know, some of the reporters we know around town, they start saying, yeah, okay, yeah, they're doing this. But then I was watching um, Mike Florio talk about this and he said what he's hearing was that it was the Saints saying, all right, we'll prove to you that the money that we're offering you, nobody else is going to be able to match it. So they're offering him like good money. And so they said, you know, they started shopping around saying, hey, we'll trade you Alvin Kamara, but this is, you know, for the, this is the money he wants and this is the, or we're willing to pay. And then we want a first round draft pick. And people were like, uh, no. Um, yeah. Running backs for, no, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, the, and the other thing that they were mentioning was that, you know, Alvin Kamara is, is different than like um, Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey's running every down, you know, but, and his career is going to be done in, you know, a matter of just a couple of years. Alvin Kamara, because he's not every down, because he also, re, you know, he, he's also a receiver, you know, they, he's going to have a longer career and end up making more money than Christian McCaffrey can ever dream of, you know, just not all right up front. So, um, this is this is when we kind of started seeing the sausage get made, but nobody understands how the sausage is made, you know. But all right, Fredo, go ahead. No, just no. I was gonna say. I mean, obviously, you had a bunch of people saying the old mantra: you don't pay a running back. Uh, the reality, in some ways, the financial realities are gonna begin hitting sports teams in every sport in every league all over the world right now because you know not having fans, not being able to fill stadiums. Not being able to, you know, take all that season ticket money that right now will be in their bank accounts uh, is going to impact their ability to do stuff on the free agent market, sign players, keep players. So we always have to consider, first of all, the dynamics of the of the sport, but also the dynamics of the economics under COVID. At the same time, I say that just just so we're clear, just about an hour ago, uh, an NFL reporter, Tom Pelissero. Uh, with NFL Network's report, says that 
the Saints are sending an all-out blitz to try to sign Jadavia Clowney. Yes, that's what I. That was the other thing I was going to bring up because I saw that right before I came in here. <laughs> so Loomis math is in full effect. That's what I guess <laughs> I was going to say. You think he can't do it? He can find the money. So, Dave. Well, the other big news is that Fournette signed with the division rival, or is about to sign with the division rival in Tampa Bay. So, well, with all due uh, respect, to I think Saints fans are apocalyptic over like everything right now. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, no, I'm sorry, but with all due respect to every LSU fan that listens to this, and every LSU fan I know, we've played Leonard Fournette. You know when he and he didn't get much of a game. So you know it's. I, you know, I've, I'm well, sorry. He's not Superman. Well, what else? When I saw it, I, when I called it, is I called it doing the smart Rams. So doing this, what the Rams did, but smarter. Because what the Rams did is they saw they had a window to hit the Super Bowl, traded a ton of future assets in order to accumulate talent. Well, what they, what the Bucks are doing is they're signing players, they're accumulating talent, but it's just for this year. They're not tethering themselves long term. Well, and the thing was also is that the Camara and Fournette story both dropped on the same day. So it yeah. did. It made every LSU Saint fan like their head explode. It was like, oh, we can get Leonard Fournette. And he's like, if we got rid of Alvin Camara, I mean, yeah. can you imagine? Can you imagine what this city would have been like if we would have traded away Alvin Kamara? And I should knock on wood right now. Sign first. So. Um, I have his jersey in my closet. I do not want to see that happen. Yeah, I know. So I got a Jimmy Graham jersey. I got nothing to do with now. <laughs> so, but uh, so yeah, it's, it's it was interesting Saints news. It was kind of a nice diversion from the COVID stuff. But <laughs> yeah. well, and, and other Houdat news, um, the Saints uh, talked. They're saying they're going to allow fans in the stands uh, third game, so the second the second home game, right? And uh, I don't know how many they're going to let in. I, you know, I don't, but Louis, state of Louisiana and the Saints, uh, you know, money talks. Right? That's what this is. But uh, they get their guidance on this stuff. At least I've been following this at college a little bit. Um, it sounds like the guidance is coming from pu public health officials at the local level. And like, what number is, are they comfortable with? you know, in terms of the risk of transmission and everything else. And the number seems to float between like 30 and 15% capacity. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say that you could probably expect to see something along those lines. Can you imagine though, if you had seats in like the 100 or 300 and they tell you, you're going to go sit up in 619 where, you know, Brit and I sit where it's freezing and it's, you know, sticky. And Bring your hoodie. You're, yeah, and you're sharing jambalaya with God and Jesus, you know. Um, so well, it's so cold up there. It is. It is. <laughs> I my my in laws my in laws came to visit. We took them to a Saints game, and my my father in law was going to wear shorts and a t shirt, and I was like, yeah. no, dude, no. I said it's. He's like, but it's it's really nice. I was like, well, it was like eighty degrees or something like that. I said I will still be wearing a thermal, a t shirt over that thermal, and a hoodie and a jacket over the hoodie. Mm -hmm. And and have gloves, and then he so he ended up wearing you know pants and a little heavy and a little jacket, and he said, "Oh my God, yeah, <laughs> it's cold up there." I've I've covered Saints games from the um, 
whatever it was before the 300 level, I think. And then again, once they moved the press up into the rafters and oh man, it is so, it's even colder, like, you know, another few rows higher up in yeah. the dome. We're, like, uh, we're friends with John DeShazer and uh, we're, we're joking with him all the time. He said, yeah, you wear a stocking cap up there. It's, it's awful. So uh, anyway, so that's Saints news. We haven't had that much Saints news in you know a long while, and well, season's approaching. Actually, what twelve days? Yeah, days, something like that. Miss Gale had COVID, and she's better now. So yeah, thank goodness. All right. Well, here endeth the, unless we have any other Houdat news. Um, mm, nothing broke in the last few minutes, but if all right, if, well, if we sound clowny in the next hour, or so you'll hear me scream. We'll, we'll let, yeah, that, I mean, that would be a nice uh, counter. I said it to Britt. I said, it'd be a nice counter to Cam Jordan. And she said, but he's hurt all the dang time. I was like, ah, yeah, well. Well, you uh, just need him for the playoffs. You only need him for the playoffs. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's do some trivia to get our start. Now we're, we're all, uh, you know, I got you all the con uh, confused with Saint stuff. Let's uh, get our heads back around Star Wars. Um, ooh, all right. Let's see here. Fredo, I'm going to go with you here. What 10-word phrase appears at the beginning of each movie? Oh, I thought this was going to be a little bit more difficult. Yeah, but when you started reading, I was like, what the heck? And then I went, uh, no, it's a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. That is correct. You know what bothers <laughs> me about that whole thing? I just noticed mm -hmm. this, like uh, one of the last viewings. The ellipsis mm -hmm. has four dots. Yeah. Yeah, that, that bothers me. <laughs> Anybody that writes for a living or grades papers or anything like that is like four ellipses. My wife <laughs> said that in some cases it is acceptable, and I don't know. We're not going to get into English nerdum here right now, but uh, maybe we'll have her as a guest sometime so she can explain us to us the uh, four dot ellipsis. But that just bothers me. I don't know. I saw it and I was like, "What the heck?" It um, ain't AP style. I'll say that. <laughs> All right, Dave. Who, according to Darth Vader, had allowed himself to be destroyed? Well, I don't need to hear that again. Who, according to Darth Vader, had allowed himself to be destroyed? Oh, uh, Obi Wan Kenobi. It is Obi Wan Kenobi. Yeah. Ding ding ding. ding, ding. It's like, don't don't let yourself be destroyed, and I'm like. He hasn't been destroyed yet, and then, but as Obi Wan did. So, all right, and so mine. Um, who does Count Dooku greet as my old Jedi friend? Um. Oh man, I'm actually I'm t I'm kind of taking a guess on it. That's got to be a uh, Mace Windu. Yeah, it is Mace Windu. Yeah, yay! Hey, we all did good today. All right, so uh, there's our there's our trivia little warm up so uh fredo what do we got for uh news this week so uh before we get started with star wars news we'll just pause a moment and extend our condolences to the family of chadwick boseman who tragically passed away last friday at the age of 43 from colon cancer uh he apparently had been battling it since getting diagnosed in 2016 so he's been doing this for four years and if you don't realize that, that that covers the breadth of his time in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, making uh, the Thurgood Marshall biopic and a number of other movies, both action and drama. So 
it's, I think everybody got the same immediate reaction when they read that. It was, what? No, you can't be real. And then when no. the confirmation happened, I think everybody just, it hit everybody like a ton of bricks. Totally, totally thought it was just internet rumor, you know, mm -hmm. totally expecting, you know, a, a press release of no, you know, the tales of my death is, you know, greatly exaggerated, but no, sadly it wasn't. Mm -hmm. So, and you know, 40, 43, is that 43, right? 43, 43, no, yeah. God, I mean, I'm, I'm 47 and every time something like that happens, it just makes me go, ugh. Mm -hmm. um, Make so. the most of your time. You know, that kind of thing. I, I had the same reaction as you guys. And uh, your hands, uh, though we can't, they can't see our hands on the podcast. Who watched Black Panther this weekend? Well, yeah, ABC put it for uh, commercial free on Sunday. So I just, I just sat and watched and it was awesome to see. I think that was awesome that they did that, by the way. I mean, that's just for the kids and, you know, any number of people who haven't been able to watch that movie over the last couple of years or even ever. Um, just to see the impact of this performer and this particular perf performance, it's just. Mm -hmm. um, it's yeah, I, was, I, was re I remarked to somebody that I had to go back and uh, I remember the little moment at the climax of Captain America Civil War when he delivers the line to, um, to uh, uh, Simo of, you know, vengeance has consumed you and vengeance is consuming them in Captain Iron Man. Then it says, I'm done letting consume. And you could see him acting every emotion that's going through that character's head at that moment. And it just, it hits no perfectly. And then you just realize, wait a minute, he never told anybody. Like Ryan Coogler, his director of Black Panther, had no idea. The majority of the cast of uh, people whom he grew close to, you know, whether it's Michael B. Jordan or Tanai Guerrero, had no idea. So it kind of shows you, I mean, he was still getting actively getting treatment for it and then going to uh, film sets and doing press junkets and, you know, traveling the globe to do all this stuff. And he was still uh, meeting all his obligations, which is why nobody knew anything. Yeah, I, we, we didn't watch Black Panther this weekend because, well, we watched it not too long ago, but uh, also we're still addicted to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, <laughs> so almost done with season three. Uh, <clears throat> but, uh, but no, my... I, my favorite, first of all, I think Black Panther is my favorite, one of my favorite Marvel movies, uh, that and Captain Marvel. Those are the two that I think Brittany and I really latch on to the most. Um, but I think he is one of my favorite characters. Um, you know, there's a, I don't know, he, you know, you see Tony Stark doing the, you know, the things as Iron Man for sometimes purposes, you know, that are very selfish. You see, it, it, all, all the characters kind of do it for there's always a selfishness to it it seems like but it, but not so much with black panther not so much with t'challa but uh, yeah. the things that the things that i've been running through or that are my favorite moments of his first of all is in endgame when he, when you know they all come out of the the portal mm -hmm. when that when they whatever i'm not going to even try to do the chant right now but that that's a goosebump mm -hmm. moment but then I still think about that Saturday Night Live sketch where he's on oh. Black Jeopardy. <laughs> Black Jeopardy. Yeah. Oh. Karen, oh, Karen. Yeah, Karen's lame. Potato salad with Potato salad to yourself. Um, <laughs> I was, look, that's the thing. I remember that when everybody kept sharing. I'm like, when that initially happened that weekend, 
that for the next two weeks, everybody just kept quoting it and referencing it, which kind of tells you that it hit at the right moment in the zeitgeist that everybody saw it and just went, I know what you're talking about. And it's hilarious. And it's just, it was perfect. People are called Karens now. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel bad because my mom's name is Karen, you know. So. <laughs> Luckily, she's not a Karen. So, you know. Yeah. All right. But, yeah. But, and, yeah uh, he, he had so much mor morality and charisma. I mean, like Michael B. Jordan was just like popped off the screen and everyone was drawn to that performance. And I remember everybody just gushing over that and talking about how sympathetic he was as a villain and everything else. But man, Bo Bozeman sold me in Civil War. Um, mm. Like just this is incorruptible man who understands right and wrong. And um, when I watched Black Panther again over the weekend, he, uh, one of the lines that just like, hit me like a ton of bricks he visited his uh father on the astral plane and his father talks about being a king and how difficult it is and he's like it's very hard for a good man to be king yeah yeah so i'll just mention right quick that i read an interview ryan coogler did with the la times where he mentioned that they were talking about it because he says look i didn't cast him i inherited him from civil war so he had been since he had been cast for that role then he was, he was coming on board for Black Panther. But when they started talking about the characters, uh, character of Killmonger and whatnot, it was actually Chadwick Boseman who came up with the idea of the line that Killmonger delivers at the end about him being buried at sea. He said, you know, oh, maybe, you know, we, you know, you know he'll want to be buried here in Wakanda, return home. And, and Chad was like, no, he's going to be, you know, somebody who will not want to be held in captivity and bondage and so that's where that line came from you know talking about it with the director and he's like he was struck by it and just like i have to put that in the movie and of course it's in the movie and it's an epic final line so, so you know it's uh um i will say it, it, it it's i saw the thing that's been going around people are saying you know okay so what's going to happen with black panther you know moving forward mm -hmm. and i would be totally on board with uh Surrey. Letitia uh, Wright. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. That would because you know of what of what you know Chadwick you know did for you know little African American boys, you know, yeah is was is incredible. They again we've talked a lot about on this podcast about representation and seeing yourself, mm -hmm. you know, little kids could now see themselves as a superhero. Mm -hmm. You know, um and um you know that would be very powerful if they but you know it's uh yeah it's it's an impossible job to try to ask another young actor to step into because you will be drawing the comparisons impossibly you know there and that's here's the thing there's no way everybody could say we'll give them the benefit of the doubt we want to do it but it's it's impossible in our minds in the back of our of every fan of that movie they'll be putting in chat how would chadwick Boseman have done that role so it's almost impossible to try to recast that character you yeah. shouldn't. It's a lot better just to try to find a different dynamic. And, you know, asking Letitia Wright to step into the and lead the franchise would be a tall order. I don't see, you know, I don't doubt that. But at the same time, it's the one that speaks most honestly and probably it's the best course of action. Of course, I mean, we're all talking about stuff that happened. I mean, this was not even a week ago. So yeah. I'm sure that whatever plans Marvel had, they got thrown up in the air because. T'Challa was meant to be 
T'Challa and Captain Marvel were meant to be the Iron Man and Captain America of this iteration of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. They were going to lead it. And that's gone now. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, okay, so no easy transition from that to uh, out of that story, but I'll try. Uh, so I'll mention a couple of quick release dates that got announced this week. First of all, the biggest one was Mandalorian Season 2 was confirmed by Disney Plus to premiere on Friday, October 30th. I imagine that will follow a similar release schedule as both Mandalorian Season 1. As and everybody's, everybody's screaming for a trailer. And it's like, are, are, have we have we gotten to the point where we we expect a trailer for everything? A trailer for a TV show? <laughs> I mean, you can put a couple of ads, and I'm sure we'll get a few. But here's the thing. We know what The Mandalorian is. We're going to get it. It's not even a question of if we're going to get it. We're going to get it. You know, yeah, what, it's what, what people want to see is they want to see, am I going to see Ahsoka? Am I going to see Rex? Am I going to see Boba Fett? Am I going to see all these rumored things? And I think if Disney was smart, it's like, no, no trailer. I mean, you know? Here's the thing: Do we need to? You know, if they don't put a trailer, will you not see it? What's the, if they don't? But yeah, no, I'm I'm not watching. <laughs> but yeah, it's like it's. But that's what that's my point. Yeah. Is that it's going to actually make people like can't I just can't wait for the thirtieth now. But so not, nobody listening to this needs a trailer. You know what I mean? But right. um. Yeah, you know, it'd be nice. I, I, they're gonna have to re release some marketing material at some point. So, um, I'll do it in their own due course, and that's fine. Mm -hmm. uh, next bit of release date that got announced was Star Wars Lego Star Wars: The Skywalker Saga, coming to PlayStation, Xbox, Nintendo Switch, and PC on October twentieth. So, so ten cool. days. So ten days before Mandalorian. If you need something to tide you over, you can pick up a Lego Star Wars. That Crap, Star I'm gonna Wars. have to. I'm gonna have to start a paper route. I'm gonna have to. I'm, I'm gonna want that game. And the I Mario the, ones. The Mario stuff that was announced. Um, yeah, that. Sorry, this is not Star Wars, but that Super Mario or the the Mario Super Mario Brothers. Um, the sixty four. No, the Super Mario Brothers, where you can play against thirty five other people. It's the, <laughs> the Super Mario Battle Royale, and then that looked yeah. like awesome. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna have to brush up on my Super Mario on that one. Yeah, but, no, uh, I, yeah, you'd have to establish a, an appropriate skill level to where you don't just get your clock cleaned by these uh, Mario experts. But uh, yeah, no, all that stuff looks great. Um, I'm surprised, like most uh, about uh, Lego Star Wars, because I think like I'd been kind of scouting it, and most release dates were showing up as like end of the year or next year. Um, it, it makes sense just from the standpoint of usually the big release video games come out between the last end of October and right before Thanksgiving. That's that's right. when you get that's when you get Madden comes out, Call of Duty comes out, whatever, because that's it's the start of the holiday shopping season. So they that's get right. Video. That's it. It's gonna be Dad. I want Star Wars Lego for Christmas. Or or it's like, I want Star Wars Lego. And the parents can say, well, Christmas is coming up. Mm -hmm. So, you know. But the, but it's the kind of thing that makes you go, okay, if it was hard to get a Switch when you got it, Aaron, how much harder is it going to be for the holidays? Uh, apparently, and there's a new uh, new version coming out. So, I as always. Slimmer, 
as always, Aaron's going to be one generation behind on the video game console. But <laughs> you'll so, you'll be you'll be on point for a few months. Whatever. Yeah, so, what is uh, it? You'll you'll have one. You won't have to be running from target to target. Because I was in Target the other day, there were none to be found. So hey, by the way, I, just, I, was at, I figured I'd look, but I didn't see any. I was at the Target on uh, in Metairie, and mm -hmm. they did have them actually. Oh. Uh, yeah, last time I was there. Um, ironic but anyway um yeah. and then, no, okay. i think i think we've all been watching this and this again not star wars but i think we need to dedicate uh part of an episode coming up to uh the netflix series high score oh yes we do we're gonna have be, you know we're we've said you know, we've been talking primarily star wars on this podcast but we've always said that it's going to be you know other stuff as well we've talked about marvel but that's a series i think we need to talk about and just because mm -hmm. i was i was kind of taken Surprised by a few things there, but yeah, no, I was I was started to watch the first two three episodes after Dave recommended it, and it was it's really cool and it's it's interesting just listening from the people who are uh, how how the ideas came from stuff like like Pac-Man comes out of a pizza, you know that kind of thing. You're like okay. yeah, you look at a pizza and there well, it is, and the, the lawyer that uh, inspired Kirby. And then, yeah. Yeah, and then the, well, that, the, the thing for me was that that Miss Pac-Man, for example, came out of somebody basically hacking Pac-Man to make you know different levels because they got to make tired it harder. Of the same, same maze, and so they hacked it and made it different. Then they ended up like you know getting hired by Midway to create a game. So all right, we'll create Miss Pac-Man. Yeah, it was <laughs> so. it was those so those, those three guys who are dropouts from MIT, and they're like. They had, you know, they were you know, kind of making their ends meet by, by buying video game machines and just sticking them in the dorm rooms. Problem is, you're talking about MIT, so everybody was figuring out the patterns of how to beat the games. So basically, they were the very first modders, I guess. They took well, a game, <laughs> adapted it, and they're like, oh, no, we need to keep getting this money, and we're not. So the last, the last episode, they talked to the guys who created Doom, mm -hmm. and that is a fascinating story. Oh, I don't know. Yes, so, it is. Anyway, well, uh, well, that's another episode coming up. So, and then uh, last, last bit of a, a video game release date is uh, coming September eight. Star Wars Journey to Bat Two for The Sims Four is going to be released for uh, PC, and uh, it's a game pack, so it's an expansion pack of The Sims. But you get to play as your very own character uh, around Bat Two, whether it's for the Resistance, the First Order, the Scoundrels. You know, you get to experience the park and get to interact with characters like Kylo Ren and Rey, and you, you'll uh, you'll be able to get your own lightsaber and droid. So it's very much uh, it's coming for PlayStation, Xbox, and Steam, so PC. So if you wanna, I don't know, no idea how much it's gonna cost, but I imagine since the expansion pack, you get it's gonna be an interesting um, uh, way to keep keep that game alive. I looked. Um, fun, like a lot of people were uh, talking about that. Uh, people that can't afford to go to Disney World, you know, yeah. if you can't go to Batu, like well, here's your opportunity, you know. So it's kind of a nice thing for that. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. Like the video, it's perfect for a video game like The Sims, which less having to do with objectives and goals, it's more having to do with, you know, the experience and interaction. So something like that, where it's okay, you get to experience Batu and. Get to talk to Kyle Ren or get to, you know, get your own BB unit, that kind of thing. It's going to be fun for the people. And then, um, oh, you saw they're finally coming out with the legacy lightsabers for Ahsoka. 
Yes. And uh, they're gonna change colors. Yep. So it's so, gonna be interesting. Saw Ashley Eckstein actually uh, had, showing that off on uh, Instagram. Instagram, yeah. right. So anyway, okay, so moving to the next set of uh, story and actually, okay, maybe kind of bring it back to the more serious. Uh, there was an interview that John Boyega did for GQ, well, it was GQ UK, so the British GQ, and they got into a number of topics, including uh, his activism with Black Lives Matter, uh, the now famous uh, speech that he did, his history, you know, his life growing up as a child of Im immigrants from Nigeria in the UK, kind of his big break with Attack the Block and, you know, getting picked up by uh, to play Finn. Uh, but there's a couple of quotes that I want to just kind of bring up because they deal primarily with how some of the thoughts that we've had regarding the sequel trilogy and how it, how it developed. Because, uh, so I'll just go straight from the article. It says, uh, what I would say to Disney is do not bring out a black character, market them to be much more important in the franchise than they are, and then have them pushed to the side. It's not good. I'll say it straight up. So the article says he's talking about himself here, about the character of Finn, who former stormtrooper who wielded a lightsaber in the first film before being somewhat nudged to the periphery. He's also talking about other people of color in the cast, like, such as Neil Miyake, Kelly Mary Tran, and Oscar Isaac, whom he calls his brother from Guatemala. He says, like you quote, like you guys knew what to do with Racy, Daisy Ridley. You knew what to do with Adam Driver. You knew what to do with these other people. But when it came to Kelly Mary Tran, when it came to John Boyega, you know, F all. So what do you want me to say? What they want you to say is I enjoyed being a part of it. It was a great experience. Nah, nah, nah. I'll take that deal when it's a great experience. They gave all the new ones to Adam Driver, all the new ones to Daisy Ridley. Let's be honest. Daisy knows this. Adam knows this. Everybody knows this. I'm not exposing anything. End quote. So, yeah. Um, I don't know that any of us, like... Um you know, there's there's a few different ways that we could approach, you know, those comments. And I think we're all very sympathetic to John's point of view. I also don't think, like, we're in a position to necessarily comment um, in a way that, you know, oh, the, you know, a bunch of non-black uh, folk here talking about these, these racial issues. You know, like, it's kind of like it would be silly for us to get too deep into it. Right. Um, but like one of the thoughts that I immediately had with, with this was, um, which is one of the biggest critiques of Revenge of the Sith um, and the prequel trilogy, which was how Padme's character got done dirty. Mm -hmm. um, and like for a lot of women, that was problematic. And for a lot of people that were sympathetic to women, that was problematic. And I think like this this can kind of fall under the same sort of umbrella for the sequel trilogy. Uh, he was marketed, you know, in a certain way that you would think he would be a major player. Um, and it didn't really unfold that way. And, um, you know, they have the, they should have the creative license to do what they want, the filmmakers, but it, they had three movies <laughs> to, you know, give him, yeah. So Some meat to sink his teeth into, and they didn't do it. So mm -hmm. the first thing that came to my brain here, is, and I'm saying this in a room, I've given Lucasfilm a lot of money 
uh, because of just collecting random Star Wars crap. And so I'm, I'm, you know, if there is a shill for Lucasfilm, it's probably me, you know. But this confirmed what I've said on this podcast a gazillion times. This actually just amplifies the problem of the sequel trilogy, which was the writing. That I'm, and I'm not going to say that you know, I'm not going to point fingers as who is to blame, but the mere the fact the way JJ ended that first movie caused Ryan to have to write his movie a certain way, which then caught and so the way Ryan ended that movie had JJ had to you know create something kind of out of nowhere. So it was there was it's amplifying the fact that there was no collaboration at all when they were creating these three movies and that whoever was supposed to be maybe overseeing that they either gave them too much autonomy or can't do their job worth a damn to wrangle these people because somebody has to be sitting there and saying, yeah, Ryan, I, I get it, but you know, we've, we've, we had this plan for, you know, John and, I guess that does, does that mean that Disney and Lucasfilm had a bigger arc in mind for John Boyega? John Boyega says it does. And so I, but nobody else has told me otherwise. So I have to believe that he, that he did. They told him and they told us there was going to be this bigger arc, but the way that these three movies were put together, there was no place for that character to go. And then we're introduced to Rose in, um, in the last Jedi, which was an awesome character, and I love her, but it was like, but, but JJ comes in and has to put in more characters, and the more people you put in a room, the less you're going to get noticed. And I still say they should have kicked the original three characters Carrie Fisher, Harrison Ford, and Mark Hamill out the door after that first movie, because when you bring in those three into the room, that glow is going to, you know, cast a shadow over everybody. So, you know, yeah, I don't, I don't think. Yeah, I, I, and the more I think about it, the more, like I said, just it was so. Un, it, here's, like I said, you guys. Here's the consequences of not having, you know, a traffic cop at Lucasfilm. You know, and and again, if you are going to hire me as a musician for your party get it it's like hey i'm the musician i know my music i know how to entertain a crowd but you know what dave's the one's gonna say but aaron i hired you and you're gonna play brown eyed girl every 10 minutes because my kid likes brown eyed girl and it's their birthday so you're gonna play it you know that's what lucasfilm needed and they didn't have it it was just like we got jj abrams yay write your story we got ryan johnson yay write your story and oh crap we gotta fix this now so anyway i'll shut up yeah. now. no i was gonna say because two okay two things first of all we and we always got to remember that particularly for rise of skywalker that movie got built on the fly it was literally being assembled as they were taken off because of the way that things fell apart between lucasfilm and colin trevorrow that said the bigger concern or the bigger again fault. that is a lucasfilm problem exactly no exactly yeah. exactly because you have to bring back jj you give him no time but the bigger issue here and it's one that presents itself a lot of times is when you don't have sufficient voices and people of authority of color in this in the creation stage you hired you i mean first you had three white dudes 
to uh, direct these, to write and direct these movies. Okay. Yeah, the, the story group, though, is pretty diverse. But my point is, you know, JJ's coming in and he's coming with his own ideas and he's going to favor them. Ryan Johnson came in with his own ideas and he's going to favor them. And look, I'm not saying you have to be a black person, only a black person can write for a black character. That's not what I'm saying at all. Just like I, as somebody who's Hispanic, Latino, of Nicaraguan descent, uh, doesn't, I'm not the only, the only person to be able to write for somebody of my ethno group. At the same time, though, when you, when you limit, start the process with only a particular demographic or a particular set, the natural inclination is going to be, let's favor the characters I like. Which characters does JJ like? Ray and Kylo. So he's given them the bulk. Which characters did, uh, you know, Ryan, you know, Kelly, you know, I was going to say, Rose is a Ryan Johnson creation. And there was always the apprehension of that, you know, when JJ came back, well, he didn't really like Rose. He didn't have anywhere for her to go. So he just kind of pushed it to the side. But he's also creating, and then he's giving more meat to the, uh, uh, to the Ray aspect of the story. Because what's interesting is you had the three characters. You had Rose, and I'm sorry, you had Ray, you had Finn, you had Poe at the start of Force Awakens. And they all get their own storylines in Last Jedi. But by the end of by Rise of Skywalker, Finn is a glorified second banana. He's a comic relief. If you want to compare it to another uh, fantasy uh, sci-fi uh, property, he's what happened to Gimli in Lord of the Rings. It just becomes a comic relief for that movie. Uh, Poe gets demoted to a guest starring role in that movie. He's, he's in it, but he's he's not doing much of anything that doesn't happen. I mean, yeah, there's a, there's a scene in um, in uh, the car with um, yeah, and uh, with uh, what's her name with uh, Zori Bliss. Yeah, with Zori Bliss, where you learn a little about him. But again, he's they're both subservient to Ray's story at this point. So when John's saying all these points, is what he's saying is, where was my story? I mean, the very first shot that anybody ever saw of new Star Wars was Finn rising out of the sands of Jakku, stunned and scared. And at that moment, we went, what? What's going on here? And he had a he had an arc in Force Awakens, which tells you, hey, J.J. liked this character. He had something to say about his character. He had his whole storyline that he took through when he went to on his quest with Rose in Last Jedi. No, that was that was the same arc as in The Force Awakens. It exactly. Was the same arc it's, as The Force Awakens. So it doesn't even count as a storyline. And, and then what does he do for Rice? What's you say? What does he and do with Rice Skywalker? Not much he's, anything. He's alone for the ride. All, all of a sudden, he's a Jedi. I mean, so my, my, he's not my, even my a Jedi point is, but not on film. Yeah. But, my, but my point, my <laughs> my point being it though is that again, this this is amplifying the problem. You know that there should that they Lucasfilm shot themselves. They only have themselves to blame on this. Yeah. You know, but again, it's like I, I get that a director writer should be able to write the story. You know, you like I said, you hired me to write a story. But I'm thinking back to when you know the the days of you know, Bach and Mozart, when you had a patron, you wrote music, you know, Handel wrote, you know, music, the Royal Fireworks for a boat party, you know, or that was water music. I'm sorry. He wrote, he wrote the Royal Fireworks for a fireworks display. I mean, he was writing music, not for his own creative, you know, wonderment, but because he was hired to write music for a specific purpose. And so, 
Lucasfilm, if you're going to hire these people, say, you know, and and Ryan Johnson, I'm sorry, but you're you're the second one in the door. We've got these characters, and you know, so maybe no, we don't need DJ. Maybe no, we don't need um, you know to monkey around with Praetorian guards because we've got these you know um, we've got these uh, Knights of Ren that we you know teased here. Sorry, these are the tools you're you're given, you know, um, and so. Yeah, give them autonomy, but you got to also set up some parameters because, like I said, it's this is. But you know. but I but I still think it's the kind of it's the kind of stuff that you you always have to figure. You know, we we we're all fans of representation. We speak about it. We champion it. It can't just be in front of the camera. It has to be behind the camera. It has to be in the writing room. It has to be in the special sets. You know, in the costume design, in every aspect of creation. Because and again, I agree with you. Yes, you're right. But I'm sorry that the story group. What is like? It's like I'm sorry. I'm mad about the story group because that is a diverse group of people, Fredo. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. those people should be saying that they, sorry, that's not, I mean, they, they should have the power to say that. No, this, you know, they should. They <laughs> well, well, we're gonna okay. So just to jump off of this one and include the I, next story because well, I'm, no, not well, I'm, I'm not done. I'm not done. You know, I'm. I'm ticked off because like, all right, so I got to be honest with myself and I got to be honest with everybody here because I, when I went into Rise of Skywalker, I said, well, I don't have any expectations. I just want some big, big splashy movie, right? Yeah. We got a big splashy movie, but I wasn't being honest because if I was being honest, I wanted some kind of resolution for Finn because he was my favorite character in Force Awakens and he just got kind of pushed to the side for Last Jedi so I, so I put my hopes in Rise of Skywalker uh, to resolve that storyline, and it didn't happen. And what makes me insane about it is that the the story that that the director and the writer came out with after the movie was had been released was like, oh well, he's force sensitive. That was what he was trying to tell Ray. How are you supposed to discern that I from anything? It, I thought that it was. We saw? I love you. Yeah. Yeah, I think most people thought that. And so it's like, well, what is he trying to tell her? You shouldn't have to explain that after the fact. And if they had just given him 30 seconds of screen time of him, like, force pushing somebody, you know, but again, or... But you have to have Claude fixing the, the Millennium Falcon without, his, without any hands. We have to have the alien giving them you know, uh, secret plans. We've got to have Zori Bliss. We've got to have Babu Frick. I'm just, I'm sorry, but it's like, it's, it seems like JJ came in and was like, all right, what's all the other new stuff that I could put in here? Because he said he's making it up on the fly. You're right. And so, okay, let's just put in a bunch of magic tricks. I'm sorry, Dave, I interrupted you. You're right. You're absolutely right. That it's just, if they would have actually, the, the, what, what if they'd done a callback to the first movie? The end of the first movie is so powerful when Ray pulls the saber away from Ren. She calls the saber and catches it, and the Force theme swells. What if they had done a callback to that with Finn this time? People would have lost their crap. They would have loved it. And, I, you know, it's just like, Boyanka's got a point. And, you know, I, I, I'm with you, Aaron. I'm a big Lucasfilm fan. I, I love I love this this whole universe. That's why we talk about it every week. Um, but it just 
they could have they could have done so much more with his with his character and they didn't and and to fredo's point you're you're absolutely right fredo about you know you know people of color people of you know women being in those places of decision making and power um in the in the creation process because that's one thing i noticed online i was actually talking with ben hart you know who is the founder of the star wars underworld we were having a twitter conversation just in dms and because he tweeted something he said you know sometimes just better just you don't have to opine on everything and i replied back i said yeah with this with whole, this whole john boyega thing there was a lot of white people telling him how he should feel and it's like that you know that's I, you yeah. know, it, that was also very frustrating during that day, um, yeah, right, because gotta, because his, I mean, his, you're right. His, his whether whether or not it was intentional by Lucasfilm or it was intentional or anything, this is the way John Boyega feels, and it needs to be recognized and it needs to be dealt with. You know, and I mean dealt with from a Lucasfilm standpoint of saying, you know, it's probably like you said, a bunch of white people who were just had blinders on. And didn't didn't think we were hurting, you know, anybody's feelings, and that's the way it happens, you know. And I'll I'll say one other thing. I don't think John would have brought this up in the way that he has if he hadn't have heard that kind of feedback from fans. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, and uh, just to say right quick, because I mean, you got to think about. I mean, put yourself in his shoes. He got. This, the opportunity of a lifetime. Think back when the very first trailer drops and the first thing that we see afterwards is his own reaction, jumping over his own couch, high-fiving his friend, going, come on, let's go. I mean, he's elated by it. He's excited by it. This is, you know, his life is going to change forever because of it. And it has, you know, in, in ways both positive and not so positive. So he has every right to feel the way he does because of the way that things shaped out. But, you know, and then recognizing those those feelings are correct, you know, are correct for him because he has a liberty like to stand up to say, look, you told me I was going to do this. I came in and did this and it didn't come out that way. You know, that doesn't mean that the movie's bad. That doesn't mean that, that you know, he's not grateful for the opportunity, which, you know, the other thing is he gets a lot of backlash from people whenever he criticizes some aspect. And I'm like, he has every right to speak about his experiences, not ever, no, no, everybody wants to hear what he says. Everybody wants to hear, oh, it was a wonderful experience. It was great. I love these people. And on a personal level, I'm sure he loves every member of the cast and crew, but that doesn't mean that his experience was so tremendously positive that it overrides the stuff that happened to him at the end. The, fa the fans telling him how to react, um, I suspect a lot of that comes from a point of view of, them desperately wanting that relationship to be good. They want mm -hmm. the relationship between Boyega and Lucasfilm to be good so that he can reprise the role. And so I think that's where that comes from. Because like if he's out here bashing Lucasfilm every other week, at some point they're just gonna say, to heck with this guy. Well but yeah. But <laughs> listen to the listen to the man's feelings. You know, he has a right to speak his mind. You and know, you can't tell this, him not to do that. What this does to Disney is it makes all of their um, progressiveness look forced mm -hmm. and look intentional in a bad way. Like performative. Performative. Thank you. That's the word. Yeah. And it, again, I 
when I when I worked at Google, one of the first things they taught us was, you know, they said assume positive intentions. You know, so if somebody, you know, it's like somebody sends you an email, don't read into tone or anything. Or if somebody does something, your first, it's kind of like what I learned when I was a band director from somebody said, be nice first, right? So you'd like, you know, like I said, you'd like to think that Disney doesn't, you know, wouldn't do that just to be performative, but this is what it makes it that it certainly now makes the room smell that way. So Fredo, I'm sorry, you're going to say something. No, 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 no. I was just going to, you know, just add because it's, you know, regarding uh, the fans. I mean, I hope that that is, uh, unfortunately, some of the fans know, you know, you know, fan bases as big as Star Wars are varied. And a lot of people come at it from points of views that, you know, you and Dave and, and I would not agree with. It's same thing as being right. a Saints fan. There's Saints fans, you know, who you'll cheer with month Sunday afternoon. And Monday morning, you'll come out and you'll read something from there and go, I can't believe we, we share the same planet. So no, you're right. That's I, was, I, was, I was doing what Aaron was to, just trying to look about. at. Exactly. That's exactly. assuming the best of people. Yeah. But, but, you know, no, but, but let me finish right quick. No, go ahead. Just, go just ahead. No, just something to say. But I think at every point, whenever somebody in John's position is telling you, this is what I'm experiencing, we should give them that benefit. We should say, that is valid. Much in the same way that Kelly Marie Tran responded to the stuff that she got her letter by some of the nastier sides of the fan base. And she had every right to say, look, I didn't sign up for this. I signed up to be in Star Wars. I thought this was going to be the greatest thing ever. And look, now now I'm having to run for the, to the hills. Now, the thing is, though, is that in this article, for the most part, John was not swinging at the fans. No. He was, no. He, he was, he was swinging at JJ. He was swinging at Ryan. I mean, he was calling names. Yeah. And he was swinging at Disney, mm -hmm. and so and Lucasfilm. So um, it's it was also people were very quick to blame it on the fans as well. Yeah. When this is he he's he's calling it. He said no. It's you know these were decisions that were made by writers and directors and by executives, and I got hosed. You yeah, know? and it so. and it's interesting. It's interesting. Uh, not to the fans are a whole different other. Right. Well, I mean, the, the article. Yeah, the article brings up the fans for a moment, but his quotes are directly aimed at what happened in the creative process and the output. You know, I got hired for this. This is what we did. This one just stuff changed, and this is what came out. And then ultimately, oh, and Disney wants me to come out and act. You know, like I'm happy with everything the way it went down, and I wasn't. But I couldn't yeah, say it because. You know that would be you know, probably he probably he would have a bunch of uh, non-disclosure stuff in that here's moment. A, here's a fun little little project that if if Brittany Williams and uh, Daniel Jose Older are listening, maybe maybe it'd be fun to reverse engineer the uh, sequel trilogy. And let's start with the Rise of Skywalker, and then start writing backwards so that we can make a storyline instead of starting at the Force Awakens and trying to write our way forward what would it be like to take knowing how this thing ends okay now how did we get here in a more logical sense that just might be kind of a fun quarantine thing to do mm -hmm. so again if they're listening we can all hang out on my porch and drink some beer and <laughs> wine and and just speculate you know off the record so anyway so um, move okay so not to cut this off but moving right back actually speaking about women in positions of power because kathleen kennedy did a major interview 
for the rap, I believe. Yeah, it was for the rap a couple of weeks ago. So they got into her with into it with her regarding the Mandalorian and Baby Yoda and all the other stuff that came in there. But then they also start discussing the future of Star Wars because you know, Mandalorian and Kenobi and Cassian Andor are the primary stuff that's coming out. So she kind of says, look, she first of all confirmed that Kenobi is only going to be a limited series. That's it. It's only going to be about six episodes and not go beyond that. Uh, but then discussing the future of the franchise, which, you know, we know that there's movies already on the slate coming out. Uh, here are her quotes when discussing about where things stood as far as the franchise is going. It says, now we're stepping back. Stories have been told within this universe over the last 40 odd years. And there's now the realization that this is a mythology that actually spans about 25,000 years when you really start to look at all the different stories that have been told, whether it's in books and games. We just need the time to step back and really absorb what George has created and then start to think about where things might go. That's what we've been doing. And we've been having a great deal of fun doing it and meeting with lots of different filmmakers and talents. There's so many fans out there and so many filmmakers that have been influenced by Star Wars for so long that it's a fantastic opportunity to get a sense of who wants to be a part of this. So that's what we've been doing, end quote. Which, before you jump in, shouldn't that have been the first thing they should have been doing? Disney wanted, Disney wanted, you know, they wanted, you know, something to show for their money. Um, the thing that came to my mind, and I, I heard this on another podcast as well, they had the sim similar thought, is this sounds like somebody who's, coming towards retirement saying, you know, somebody else is going to be heading the ship here in a year or two, and we need to let them figure out where they want to go with it. That's kind of what, but, but Fredo, to your point, yes. And after that whole long thing that we just got done yelling about, that's exactly right. They, I think the whole sequel trilogy, you said that, you know, the rise of Skywalker was done on the fly. I think this whole sequel trilogy was kind of done on the fly, you know, um, well, they locked, they locked into release dates and then they went from there. Yeah. Um, they, you know, it was fun listening to an alternate perspective on this stuff when we were talking to Bill uh, a couple of weeks ago. And he was just talking about how, you know, do the movies all need to interconnect? Do they all need to flow seamlessly? Does it make, Does it have to make, you know, logical sense? For us fans who follow this stuff, nearly religiously i mean sure it that's what we want um but you know your average movie goer maybe it's less of a big deal and you know disney at the end of the day is just trying to make money um you know we'd like we'd like the two things to kind of coexist you know quality content and them making their money <laughs> but sometimes one consideration beats out the others um you know, I don't know. I just that uh, you know, stepping back from it and looking at it big picture wise, it's like, yeah, of course we're going to obsess over it on a Star Wars podcast and talk about it. like, could they do this better? Yes, here's how they could do it better. Um, but I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's still they're generating so much money and mostly good reviews, and everyone loves Mandalorian and where that's headed and. Let's also remember that, you know, Lucasfilm, okay, when the when Star Wars was made, you know, Lucasfilm was one guy. Mm -hmm. It was George because, Lucas. 
Lucas's film. <laughs> right. Um, and then, you know, of course, ILM comes to be. And then eventually you get Skywalker Sound. Now Lucasfilm is not just a place where that, you know, is they make George Lucas's Star Wars movies, but it's places where people go to get their special effects done in their in their videos. It's become what I'm getting at is that it has become this bigger machine and this bigger monster. Um, and having worked for, you know, a large company, one of the just it was amazing to me how much, how little this team, you know, didn't know what that team was doing. You know, um, I guess I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not an employee there anymore, but uh, well, no, I, I'm just going to stop. But it's just, it was like, there's people who are like, oh, you're making that because we're making this over here. You know, it's like, don't you yeah. think you guys should have talked, you know? Um, you know, but you know, sometimes you're right, Aaron. That happens everywhere. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, like, every workplace I've ever been in, where it's like, you don't know that person. Well, that person does something that directly influences your job, and yet you've never talked or met or anything. You know, it's it's wild. Yeah, look, so, I work. Yeah, I work for a for a major for a university here, and you know, I've been in the same building as the dean. I don't go up to the dean's floor. Well, I've said more than more than more than ten words to the guy, so that's the so, kind of thing. You know, it, I'm sure it gets ten times bigger when you're talking about places like Lucasfilm or Google. So when I when I was a band director, um, you know, at when I first like my second job, actually my first two jobs, um, I was I was the band director. Well, first of all, actually my first job, I was the band director from grade five through grade twelve. So it was like. It was all my decisions. I could have my thoughts. This is where I want my kids to go. And these are the, okay, this is the resources I'm going to use. These are the tunes I'm going to play, blah, blah, blah. It was one, one, one car, you know, and one person driving that car. When mm -hmm. I went to my next job, um, I was the only one at the high school, but there were two middle school band directors. So now it's like, yeah, I can make my own decisions at a high school level, but that has to be in conjunction with what they're doing at the middle school level and not just at the middle school level, but at each middle school. And, you know, then there are elementary teachers, you know, even beyond that. And so, and then I got an assistant band director. And so now he and I, so it becomes, yeah, it becomes such a, a mess. And it was probably what my point is that when George was making the first three movies, it was his idea. It was his story. And only thing I just need you to direct it, you know. But here's the story. It wasn't like it wasn't like now. JJ come in and write the story and direct it. It was George wrote it, gave it to you know Irvin Kirshner or you know Richard Marquand, and you guys direct it. But this is the story, you know. <laughs> and if you got questions, I'll be in the back. Right, you know. So it's become such a. It, it's become such a thing. And then when you add in all the books, like she said, was that have been written, all the games have been made and everything like this. So yes, Fredo, they should have from the get go sat down and tried to figure all that out. But now I think it's just like the warehouse at the end of Indiana Jones mm -hmm. that I don't even think you're going to be able to know that, you know, but, but I guess to my, to my point is, and it kind of springs forth to what you're saying. When Lucasfilms began around Star Wars, it was a small, lean company that was trying to figure stuff out on the fly. I guess that's going to be my term for today. Just figuring things out as best they could because a lot of the stuff wasn't invented. They were creating it. Now, Lucasfilms is, bar is it's a huge machine 
in part of a bigger machine that's called Disney or the Walt Disney Company. So no, I guess what I'm trying to get that is if you have to make changes such as, oh, the director that we hired has to be removed or he's the, we're not working, we're not meshing, we're going to throw everything out, bring somebody else in. You can't do that on the fly anymore. You can't make those changes. Now, if you're making a change, whether it's Rise of Skywalker or Solo or Rogue One, you're literally turning an aircraft carrier. You're but trying however, to where that kind of worked, though, it worked better with Solo because Kasdan mm -hmm. was the one that wrote it. They just needed to get somebody behind a camera to direct it. You know, that's where it got thrown off in the sequel trilogy, at least with The Rise of Skywalker, is because they were tied. It was yeah. tethered to the other two. I mean, you're so getting right. um, I think what Lucasfilm needs to focus on not is just absorb all the things that George has done and you know and try to figure it all out. They need to decide what is it that we do well, and what is it that we want to keep doing well. And I, th I think they're becoming almost. And I often thought about this back in the '90s with with Lucas Arts and with you know everything else. It's like they start to become jack of all trades, master of none. Mm -hmm. You know, um, they used to be. Uh, well, I mean, Star Wars: Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi were three of the most you know cutting edge you know special effects movies. You can't say that about a Star Wars movie anymore. Not anymore. Every every week you're getting a major release or. In normal years, you're getting a major release that's got as many special effects, if not more, than the original trilogy had. So now maybe you could say then, you know, it's they really had a handle on storytelling, unlike other movie franchises, you know. And but you know they've kind of lost their way on that one a little bit. You know, as far as a multi-movie story arc, I mean, each one of Force Awakens is a great movie. You know, Last Jedi is a great movie. Rise of Skywalker, um, eh, it's fun. Um, but, I mean, they're good stories, but they just don't work. So I think Lucasfilm needs to, again, figure out what is it that we want to do and and to be the best at. I think I think they're starting to do that. I mean, like, in the sense that they, they see Mandalorian as just like this unqualified success and they're leaning into that the lessons they've learned from that um figure out a, a way stable, that was a stable project from the get-go though you know what i mean i'm sorry oh, yeah, to interrupt there, you. It, yeah, it, yeah but there's there's multiple fact there's multiple levels to that like you know you talk about like the the creative forces behind it were very stable and they had a clear vision and they decided they wanted to see that vision through right that's yeah. a lesson you can take from that uh, I think some of the lesson that they're taking from that, though, as well, is like these these smaller scale standalone stories are where we seem to be hitting the mark more mm -hmm. often. And if you don't hit the mark, you shrug and you move on, you know, and like, oh, well, Solo didn't, you know, make en enough money. So we'll just, you know, abandon that. and We'll move on to something else. Rogue One made a ton of money. Oh, well, maybe we do another standalone movie, but not necessarily set in the same timeline. Uh, Mandalorian is a great show for us, this standalone small-scale property. We should do more shows like that. We're going to do Kenobi. We're going to, you know, do Cassian. Um, so, like, I see the, the the roadmap, or at least sort of the, the outline of the roadmap. But, um, I mean, I'm with you. Like, eventually you're going to have to get, past 
like small scale storytelling at some point because they invested so much money in the property. But and I'll say I know and I agree with you hundred percent. I think and, and in some ways that's that's part of what I think they're learning. They're they're sitting together and they're adapting to say what is Star Wars and what can it be beyond the roadmap that George Lucas gave us. Because George Lucas gave us two trilogies. Well we just made a trilogy. Okay. Can we do more with it? Yeah, we can do TV shows. We can do standalone movies. We can do book series. We can do video games. We can do whatever we want with it. But how does that take shape on a grander scale? How does that take shape? And look, I thought the Star Wars story idea is excellent. They dumped it after Solo, which I don't get, because it gave them an opportunity to kind of go off script, if you will, kind of do something unique and different. You'd not tether to, oh, geez, if this doesn't tie all, all stuff together, we're going to win all, we got to figure it out in the next movie. If you want to do a next movie, if, say, for example, if uh, the cast of Rogue One had lived through that movie and we wanted to tell another story with them, they could have done it. You know, there's nothing saying you can't, but the point is you're not, you're not bound by, oh, no, no, this is, part of a larger saga. In some ways, I think part of what Kathleen Kennedy was saying is the idea of we can now close the chapter on saga telling, and we can just start going off and telling all kinds of different stories. She's talking about 25,000 year period. That's the Star Wars mythos, so to speak. So you can go to the High Republic and go to the Old Republic. You can go further into the future than we've ever been. So you're not tethered now to Okay, we at some point we got to bring back Chewbacca, the Millennium Falcon, R2, 3PO, those kinds of things. You can go wherever you want, but what does that look like? And I think that that's the, you know, when, when you're presented with so many options at the buffet, you don't know where to start first. And I think that's what they're kind of figuring, trying to figure out. Yeah, I think it, it's what I just started, my mind started wandering a little bit. Uh, but, uh, it, it it got me to the question of again we've we've tackled before is how do you know it's a Star Wars movie, mm-hmm. and you know and to me, you know, yeah, I, I, and I think that's what I think that's what Lucasfilm needs to grapple with is you know how how do what is, and I, that's what Kathleen Kennedy was saying is what what makes Star Wars Star Wars, and that's a tough mm-hmm. that's a tough thing to wrestle with even for the people who have you know created it, um, yeah. but. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right, though. That's what they should have been doing at the get-go. You know, it seems, to, again, reverse engineering, it seems to me that it's like, all right, you know, here's a Star Wars trilogy should be one movie in three parts. What are those three parts, at least the bullet points? What are we hitting on each one of those? And then if you stick to the story, then everything else is going to work. You know, you're not going to have something a situation to make John Boyega feel the way he feels, you know, you're not going to run into, um, you know, the, like I said, the painting into a corner type of a deal because you're going to, you're going to see the path ahead of you. It seemed like they were just getting in the car and driving. It's like, all right, we're in Shreveport. All right. Which (laughs) way should we go now? Let's go that way. And then you drive until you run out of gas. Where are we? We're in Oklahoma city. All right. Well, where do we go now? Let's go that way, and then you drive until you run out of gas, and you're at that place. That's the way the sequel trilogy feels, you know. Mm-hmm. Whereas the original trilogy and the actually the prequel trilogy feels like you can you can tell where this arc is going, um, or this whole road trip is going. So anyway, 
I agree with most of that, but I will say this too. Like we said this, like when we were ranking the movies, if you stick the landing, I'm going to forgive a lot of what comes before that. Big time. And, they, and they didn't stick the landing. They just didn't. And so yeah, but it's, like, tough, it's, uh, it's, it's tough to stick the landing when the person who's trying is supposed to be spotting you, like throws a medicine ball at we, you. And we can talk, yeah. I mean, yeah, we can I talk mean, about all the reasons why that movie didn't work, why they're rushing through it, they didn't have a good plan, all these things. But it's like at the end of the day, if that movie had been good and had had a satisfying conclusion to our main characters' arcs, it's football, we, man. Every winning, winning solves all your problems. You know, it's like if your team is winning, nobody nobody cares how many times you fumbled. Nobody cares how many penalties you got. If you won the game, you're the best. So you're right. You're absolutely right on that. And I was just going to say right quick, and perhaps one of the harder parts for Star Wars to and Lucasfilms to manage is they're not the only game in town anymore. Used to be, you know, when the you know the movies came out, they were Star Wars, and everybody was trying to copy them. Now you have. Marvel, you have DC, you have Lord of the Rings, you have Star Trek, you have all these other properties that are doing quality work that are challenging them. And so if they don't, you know, they're going to get juxtaposed against. Everybody did it. We've done it. You know, in the same year Rise of Skywalker comes out, Avengers Endgame comes out, and we're saying, hey, this one did it better, you know, that kind of thing. And that's only going to create, amp up the pressure on them to be forward thinking. You know, another another topic for another podcast um, would be um, is did Marvel set themselves up to fail in this phase three that is coming out or phase four, whatever this next set of, uh, you know, are people going to be as hyped for, you know, this next set of movies as they have the previous, but anyway, that's for another time. We'll see. We'll see. But anyway, that's, that's it for the news. And that was a lot of news. <laughs> that was a good discussion though. That was fun. Mm -hmm. I got Got fired up. I didn't swear once. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, so tonight, the main, our main topic for tonight is just something we were kicking around. There was a YouTube video that went around of um, deleted scenes that should have stayed in, deleted scenes from the from the saga, that, and it kind of got us talking about, uh, you know, what do we think about these deleted scenes? And actually, we had a kind of interesting discussion even just even today. It's like, how do you, how do you get you know, how do you, how do you have a discussion of like, wow, this, this scene, you know, Dave and I were kind of disagreeing a little bit. It's like this scene really, this really sucked. You know, it's like, how do you have a discussion about that? Because obviously George thought it sucked because it was removed from the movie. Um, but it's like, um, so we're, but it, it's just, you know, but there are some, you know, scenes get cut because either for timing or they've already, you know, and that's one of the things I struggle with. What we're going to be doing is we're going to be going through, um, our favorite, or we're doing our favorite deleted scene that we maybe could have said, yeah, this should have stayed in um, for each trilogy. We're not going to go each movie, um, but for each trilogy. So this is going to be a, an abbreviated version. Um, and then we'll have at the end of it a little bit of a potpourri of if you have one that like really stinks that you want to you know point out or. Um, and I guess that was the thing that was that was struggled for me is that a lot of the scenes that are deleted they're cool, but they figured out a way to get that same information out in a more expedient way, right? There's a different, there's a quicker way you can get people from point A to point B. 
Um, so it's kind of tough to say, yeah, that seemed to be great because if you put it in the movie, then you're just going, then does that mean the other one goes away where they tell us that information? It's my problem actually with putting in the, um, the Han and Jabba scene in a new hope because all that information is the conversation between Han and Greedo. Right. It's like the exact same conversation, but the only reason we put in job of the hut is because he wanted to put in job of the hut. But now that it, it sticks out like a sore thumb because it's like, we already heard this, you know, we already heard this same dialogue. So anyway, um, but we're going to be going, like I said, through, uh, each, each trilogy in our favorite deleted scene. Um, so I guess, uh, who, who wants to start this one out? Anybody want to volunteer their first one? So we're in the, the original trilogy. Um, I guess I'll, I'll go ahead. And okay. That. All right. Uh, the one I want is the one of Luke Skywalker putting his lightsaber together in, in, in Obi-Wan's hut. Um, first of all, when I, Dave, have you read, or either one of you read Shadows of the Empire? Long time ago. So I mean, part of part of that, I mean, Luke is doing his Jedi training mm -hmm. at Obi Wan's hut, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and and I I want to think I don't know if I'm making this up. I'd have to go look into. Maybe I should look in the Return of the Jedi novelization. I believe that I mean they talk about this, um, the same thing. But that that just seems to me to be an a, would have been a really interesting thing. And I don't think it would have taken away from the surprise where Luke's about ready to get pushed in the Sarlacc pit and the lightsaber comes flying out of R2-D2 because you would have been going, even though you would have seen Luke put his lightsaber inside R2 in Ben's hut, um, you still, you could have cut it in a way that it's like, oh my gosh, he's going to get thrown in the Sarlacc pit and then here comes R2 and you go, oh yeah, okay. it's going to get real. Oh, sorry, McClunky there. <laughs> um, so, I mean, that's, that's the one I picked. I think that would have been... Plus, it would have it would have established. I mean, the first time we see Luke as a Jedi was when he's choking Grimorian guards. You know. Well, I mean, and I and I think you know part of the reason why I you know I think you're right in regarding that scene. First of all, I love the the cut from that moment when uh, Vader leaves Jurjarod on the deck of the Death Star and he goes to his uh, hibernation chamber and he's just calling for Luke through the Force. Yeah. And now what Luke is doing is finishing the lightsaber because that moment gets referenced later on when Vader's holding the lightsaber and says, you built a new lightsaber. Yeah. You know, so the fact that the payoff was in the movie, but the setup will get cut out. I'm like, you know, okay, you know, so it works, but I think it fits better at that point. So yeah, that's hey. my vote. That's the one I think that should, that should have stayed in and could have stayed in. David. I hope we're not. Yeah, I hope we're not boring here because, like, I, that was the same one for me. Mm -hmm. um, and I, uh, there's, there's two things going on there. I like the um, where you talked about like referencing his Jedi powers and sort of seeing that he has progressed at this point. And like, you know, for for us when we watched it, we were, you know, we were much younger. We were looking for some excitement in the theater. Uh, and all we'd seen to that point was just sort of Vader hanging out on a start <laughs> or on the Death Star. And then, uh, you know, after that, it was just some people talking and then uh, C-3PO and R2-D2. Yeah. 
see Pooh on R2-D2 walking through the desert. Um, yeah, there's just, you're, you're kind of itching for something interesting to happen in that particular moment in the movie. So I think that it would have really added something on that level. And also, I agree with you about spoiling the surprise and how it really wouldn't have because I read it, um, I read interesting, um, I think it was an interview with Ian Fleming or it was somebody affiliated with the Bond series. And like they were asked about the ejector seat in particular in, from the car uh, back in the day. And it was like, I, I didn't want us to reveal that early in the movie, but they were exactly right that you do that because you first you tell them what to expect. And then the excitement comes in the eventual reveal, the anticipation. It's kind of like Hitchcock, you know? You're like, you're waiting. The anticipation is what gets you. So you're like, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. And then you get to see it happen. And and it, it makes the audience feel like they're in on something. They're, they're smart, you know? And I, all, the, all those things, there's a lot of good reasons to do it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, that was just good. It was yes. good. It, it's the runaway favorite for me. Okay, so for me, actually, I'm going with Empire. The scene between Luke and Leia in the medical center after he gets out of the vodka tank. It's only a small moment. First, first of all, two things. Lucas and Leia are talking, and they almost kiss before C-3PO comes and interrupts them, which I love the fact that C-3PO is blocking everybody from kissing Leia. No, I'm not thinking the same phrase, but I was going to say it out yeah. loud. Okay. Yeah, well, well I, I made sure that myself. The but rooster also, blocking, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But also... It's, uh, it sets up the payoff of the kiss later on when Han and Chewie show up. The bigger point, though, is this is when Luke tells Leia that he's going to have Fredo to... Fredo just wants more incest in his Star Wars. That's what he wants. <laughs> look, uh, look, Game of Thrones ruined me. <laughs> but Sorry. no, actually, actually, no, the reason why I do uh, I do want this scene at is because Leia, Luke tells Leia he's got to go to Dagobah to train. And this is, and Leia gets upset with him, gets mad at him because it's like, wait a minute, Han just told me he's got to run off to go pay off his debt to Jabba the Han. Now you're telling me you got to run off to go do your Jedi stuff. It's like, when do I get some loyalty around here? So I think the line she says is like, I'd have better luck just going down the hall and getting some loyalty from the Wampas. Which that moment, you know, in the in the movie in and of itself is good for it for what it does. But I love the how it highlights their reactions to stuff in the sequels because that's the same thing they do when stuff goes to heck in a handbasket it's han goes off to be a smuggler again luke goes to Moponacto, and they all leave leia behind to pick up the pieces and keep the fight going i think it shows that that those aspects of the personality were there way back at the start too yeah so, I, actually i'd actually forgotten about that scene I, that, that is that is a good choice that actually would have created some nice tension because it, it always seems like, you know, all right, I'll, I'll see you guys later. Uh, okay, see you, Luke. And you know, R two is like, where are we going? You know, it just it just kind of we're all just like, oh, okay, they're splitting up. You know, uh, but it is I could see it like going, you know, Matanke. man. Yeah, you know, we, we got we got. You know, you can't go lift weights right now. We need to take care of this other junk, and then you can, you know, go. You're, you're a commander of the Rebel Alliance. You can't just simply pop off for, you know, a few weeks or months to, uh, you know, go lift rocks. 
So uh, how about the, uh, so we're into the prequel trilogy now. And this one, I'm actually going to, I agree totally with the, I don't, do, I don't know if we have the YouTube channel of where mm -hmm. we got this from, but yeah, I mean, see if I can find it. One, the one that he uh, mentioned for uh, the Phantom Menace was uh, the saying goodbye to Jira. And it's mainly because, you know, Jira was the old lady that, you know, storm's coming, Annie. You know, that, uh, that the old, you know, lady from Scooby-Doo that, you know, um, liked Anakin Skywalker. But anyway, um, as he stops to say goodbye, that's Obi-Wan or Obi-Wan, Qui-Gon. Um, well, first of all, they got one of Darth Maul's probes chasing him and then Qui-Gon notices it and slices it down. And the reason why I think this should have stayed in is exactly what this guy's YouTube channel said was uh, because then it explains why they're running because, you know, they, they leave Shmi and then the next thing you see is they're, they're running and Anakin's like, Qui-Gon, sir, slow down. I'm like, yeah, why is everybody running? And then all of a sudden you see Darth Maul but they don't tell you why they had to start running in the first place. And this seeing this droid would have made the audience go, Oh crud, they're being, they're being followed. And then, then it makes sense for them to be running through the desert. So I'm going to agree with the, the gentleman on, on YouTube on this one. Uh, the uh, YouTube channel is called add at chat. So anyway, so yeah, that, I'll throw that I'll link in. His. So I'm stealing his, but it, it's, he was it, right on the money on that one. It was because it, that was just one of the awkward, why, why are they running moments? And then, of course, you start fighting with Darth Maul and you don't care. But, um, that's, but to begin with, it was kind of unsettling. So, Dave, what's yours for the sequel, for the prequel trilogy? I have several. So I'm going to have some honorable mentions maybe later. But um, the, the one to me that jumps out more than any, uh, is when Anakin and Padme visit her family on Naboo in Attack of the Clones. Um, it just, it really sort of establishes their relationship um, in, a, in a way that's like 100% better than anything we ultimately got. Uh, everything that we got in the movie eventually felt forced or stilted or unconvincing um it's my biggest critique of the prequels probably by far and this particular scene where he and she visit her family and you get more insight into who she is and her character and what she sees in him and what he sees in her and there's like lightness to it too you know, they're kind of poking fun at each other a little bit, but not in an awkward George Lucas way. Um, <laughs> it's just... Uh, it's pretty. <laughs> I like it's, the way you smell. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> You're smooth. Um, but yeah, no, it's... Uh, it's I don't like sand. <laughs> um, I don't know if I'd go so far as to say, like, this would have rescued the whole romance, but it would have provided a much more convincing rationale for everything that comes later. And uh, I'd recommend people watch it if they haven't seen it. It's you and me, wrestle. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Watch, watch me ride this, this cow-looking thing through the meadow. Does it not make me look hot? 
Yeah. Anyway, so John, uh, John Williams, sorry, John Williams should have totally like stole the little house on the prairie theme, like during that moment when they're in the meadow on Nebu. Anyway, go ahead, Fredo. So uh, uh, for me, I'm going to go to Revenge of the Sith, and it's actually three little scenes that kind of make one big one, and it's kind of the the subplot about building the alliance, the Rebel Alliance, that takes place between Bale, Padme, Mon Mothma, and a few other senators. So there's a few little meetings that happen during the middle of that movie that uh, give you the idea that this is the beginning of the birth of the Alliance. And in a movie that's crying out for poor Padme to do something productive and proactive, to not just be waiting for Annie to come back or to get news from Annie that he's turning to the dark side before she has to shuffle off the mortal coil. The idea that she's still actively involved, that little subplot, feels more in tune with the Padme that we saw in Clone Wars. Do you think it was uh, removed because George read the feedback of there's too much politics going on in the prequels? Do you think he got a little gun shot? Because I agree with you. It, that was like, I, I think that I, I like that scene. and I wish it would have stayed in. I was actually one of those like people who would complain about too much politics in the prequels. It's like, that's what these movies are supposed to be about, folks. Right. Um, it's political intrigue. Sorry. It's all the president's men, but, you know, in Star Wars. Uh, you know, but uh, I, th I wonder if it was just like, uh, no, we've we've gone too far down this rabbit hole. I don't know. No, I, I, I think I think that would have worked well. And realistically, given what we know of the book, because, I mean, Palpatine's plot is all designed around becoming the victim of the Jedi and uh, and positioning himself with emergency powers to become the ultimate you know, power broker in the galaxy. So the idea that Bail Organa, Pat Abadal, and Mon Mothma are recognizing this, and they're like, well, we don't know how we're going to go forward with this until it's too late. And then they go, okay, we're going to have to do something you know, behind everybody's backs in order to put it together, I think would have lent some... Um, some meat to those political moments because otherwise they just throw away here showing you no people were recognizing the threat that palpatine was unfortunately it wasn't the jedi uh but it was being recognized and it was being seen because ultimately i mean provincially Sith is about how you know dictatorships and fascism takes over a democracy and the idea that everybody just ignores it or doesn't see it, it's not true so i love the idea that here we have these characters recognizing the danger, trying to stop it, and then trying to find a way to combat it. Cool. So on to the sequel trilogy. Mm -hmm. I'm glad I get a start because <laughs> this is actually, this is the scene that of all, all the movies that have been released, this is the one that they should have gone with. And I'm mad at Ryan Johnson for not using this version. This is the alternate uh, confrontation between Phasma and Finn at the end, and I'm going to actually play it. So, um, but uh, I, I think when it, with our previous conversation of how you know Finn got shoved off, this would have given so much more momentum into his arc and given him more of you know. It just it just was a much better scene. So um, here we go. Here is, uh, and I believe it is called Phasma Squealed Like a Whoop Hog. Yeah. So. Disobedient, disrespectful, traitor. 
You call for order. You feed us down. But when your shiny neck was threatened, you squealed like a whoop hog. The evidence blew up at the base, but you and I know the truth. When I put a gun to your head, you shut down Starkiller Shields. Now, what would your troops do if they found out? Or your masters? Who would believe a story like that? You were always scum. Rebel stop. Yeah, I think I like that one better. Oh my god, it's so much better. It's uh, you know, and you know, if if you, everybody, if you haven't seen it, you need to go. You can go on YouTube, obviously, and find it. But it's in the deleted scenes on the the DVD as well, and the Blu-ray. Um, you know, it because she's surrounded by the four stormtroopers, and they start looking at each other like, "Oh wow, she, you know, this did really," and so she wastes them. It, it was a much. It's it's. Like I said, it put much more power into into Finn's character there. So, and you know, I, I just think it it should have stayed. It should have stayed. And I don't know why. Yeah, we're talking what if you really you're shaving thirty seconds off of a movie. So I don't know. I'd have to listen to Ryan Johnson's explanation, but I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I guess if we're good on that, I'll go ahead and. Give my, uh, yeah. Uh, so for me, it's when uh, in A Force Awakens, when Kylo finds the Falcon and boards the Falcon, and he kind of has his own Luke moment on it. <laughs> like when Luke in Last Jedi gets on the Falcon, he's sitting there and he's sort of reminiscing and he's looking around and taking in the memories. Um, and I like that Kylo had that little moment on the Falcon as well. Um, it adds a little bit of symmetry to the two movies. Uh, it adds a little bit of symmetry to those two characters. Um, humanizes him a little bit better. Um, you, you know, you realize, you know, he was this scared kid. Um, I just like it a lot. I don't think it really would have hurt the momentum a lot to have had that in there. Yeah, I think, yeah, we we do know at that moment that Kylo is Han Solo's son. Do we know that for sure? Yeah, yeah, because yeah, uh, yeah. Han and Leia had had their hug goodbye. Yeah, that's right. Said, yeah, bring back our son, that kind of thing. Yeah, so, so I mean that that's the only thing that I yeah. So never mind. I might, I withdraw my concern. <laughs> no, because and I was thinking it's a very good moment because you got to figure, you know, as a little child. He probably ran around the hallways of that ship. He sat at that cockpit. He hung around with Chewbacca and the whole nine. So being back there looking to kill Han is a good little moment, you know, kind of juxtaposing everything that's going through his head. But think about think about what you just said, you know, those memories of even if you would have had just quick little flashbacks too of just mm -hmm. you know, little kid. But think about then when when Chewbacca, you shoots know him. shoots him. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, that's for for because Chewbacca had those same memories. I mean, if you think about, you know, you know, taking a taking a bowcaster to your, you know, godson, basically, 
you know, how painful that was for Chewbacca in so many different levels. So yeah. uh, I, I think that would have been a good one. Yeah. And, you know, that's the thing that I, I wonder, because we're talking about usually these scenes are dropped because they're trying to, you know, save momentum or, well, first of all, the last, never mind, this is The Force Awakens, so I won't get on Last Jedi. But anyway, um, but for most movies, you know, it's to sit, you know, keep the momentum going, stuff like that. But when, when Endgame can be three hours long and nobody complains, and a good and one chunk of that movie is Captain America running a support group, you know, mm-hmm. then I think you can put Kylo Ren on the Falcon for a couple seconds, you know. So I think I wonder if people are going to be a little bit less inclined to cut a lot of stuff because people will, if it's good, people will sit through a three hour movie. Mm-hmm. And as I said, it, you know, you don't necessarily want to be making every movie three hours, but if it's a moment that adds to the story, you can send. I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, everybody sat through three hours of Endgame. Nobody was complaining through, you know, at the end because, like you were saying, the, uh, like they were saying, you remember the ending, and that ending was so awesome that you didn't care what came before it. So, uh, for my scene, I'm gonna go to, to. By the way, have we gotten any of the deleted scenes for Rise of Skywalker release yet? I don't think we have. No, I don't think okay. so. Yeah, because I didn't know. I didn't know if there were. Buried somewhere in the Blu-ray player and the Blu-ray, but I didn't see it. Uh, but anyway, for me, I'm gonna go to Force Awakens and Chewbacca ripping up Unker's Blood's arm in Takodana. It's a small <laughs> moment. It's not plot heavy, and it, you know, there's every reason why you cut it because it has nothing to do. You know, you don't need it. It lends nothing, but just the idea of because basically what happens is Unker Plutt, the character that um, Simon Peck played tracks down Ray to Takodana and confronts her and tells her she's in so much trouble and he's gonna he's gonna own her forever, that kind of thing. And Chewie's you know disarms her and Chewie steps in to protect her and Uncle starts talking trash to Chewbacca. And then Chewbacca does what a Wookiee does rats really well and just steps on him and pulls at his arm until it comes off. Well we got that payoff in solo. Well yeah so, yeah. I, said, I know we saw it in solo, but I just think it would have been so perfect because, first of all, it's showing you that Ray has, it's getting, it's building kind of a tribe, you know, so to speak. It's building people around it to support her. And it just, I'm just imagining everybody just squealing and screaming at the side of Chewie, just ripping up somebody's arms after that threat got introduced 40 some odd years prior. All right. Well, those are our favorites. Dave, uh, do you uh, want to start any? Uh, you said you had some honorable mentions, uh, maybe some dishonorable mentions. Uh. Yeah, the I liked. Um, I think I don't know if we've ever seen it. I don't even know if they've ever filmed it. But they, there was always the rumors of an extended Darth Maul Qui Gon battle on Tatooine. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would have. I would have loved to have seen that. Um, you know it. Uh, that fight is very abbreviated. Um, you get the general jest, but uh, you know, watching a couple of Jedi and their uh, Jedi and Sith in their prime, like flipping around and swinging lightsabers at each other, I would have been for it. Um, yeah. I read it in the novelization, Dave, because I know it's, and I think they filmed a little bit of it. Where basically Maul, when Qui Gon jumps onto the ramp, Maul chases him, and they end up fighting there for a brief uh, spell, and then. Yeah. Quite yeah. like shoves him back, and, and I was it's, waiting for that uh, moment. 
It's actually, there's incomplete scenes that were released on the Blu-ray. This is on Wikipedia. It says okay. the extended, or the battle on the boarding ramp. Extended fight with Darth Maul on Tatooine, including Darth Maul jumping onto the ship's platform with Qui-Gon before falling off. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I would love that. I think it would have been, again, unnecessary, but... Um... We'd wait, been... We've been waiting for 15 years. <laughs> I would have eaten it up. Yeah. 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 That was our payoff moment. Like, like I remember watching the movie for the first time. I'm like, that's it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that would have been a little, given us a little bit more prior to uh, duel of the fates at the end. Um, and then another thing from that video that I liked um, were, uh, that we've referenced a couple times here, Kylo and the weird critter on Mustafar in Rise of Skywalker, um, the the so-called like keeper of the Wayfinder. Oh, the spider uh, baby. Yes. Um, I yeah. Like I'm not sure how I felt about the prosthetics and the pictures that it surfaced about all that, but like, dude, sold me on it. <laughs> I would have loved to have seen that. It would, have, it would have created a good dynamic of displaying how, even though Kylo Ren is the most powerful Sith and the supreme leader, in some ways he's getting rejected by the OG Sith. He's wearing their colors, he's repping their game, but they're not they're not saying, oh, you're not one of us, which is an interesting dynamic for him because they're opposing him. It's really weird too when you think about that, like rise of the whole rise of Skywalker plotline of Ray becoming Palpatine's, you know, successor or whatever. It's like you got this guy. <laughs> he, he he rules the galaxy. He's the offspring of you know Anakin Skywalker. Um, mm -hmm. you know what's the problem? But I guess Kylo wasn't good enough. So. Uh... What about what about deleted scenes that thank God they deleted them? Um, I'm going. I'll I'll will start this round just real quick, and that is Anakin's fight with Little Greedo. Oh yes, that, that would have been. Come on, man. I mean, everybody, everybody, everybody's already. You know, it was like really Anakin, Darth Vader made C3PO. All right, and then it's like, oh really? We got Anakin fighting Greedo. It's like. It's like Dallas. Everybody's related, you know, type of thing. So, uh, thank God that was left out. I mean, yeah, that's that's one of mine. I agree. Um, I also I really didn't like the extended hijinks on Grievous's ship at the beginning of Revenge of the Sith. They had yeah. some alternate takes and some additional really scenes. Really Scooby Dooish. Yeah. Yeah. Just I didn't need more of that. Um, you mean when Anakin's like going like beeping and booping like a droid? Yeah. Oh God. And then it was like a there was like shock T was inserted in one scene at one point for no reason whatsoever. It just none of it made any sense. I'm glad it all. Yeah. Originally, originally shock T gets kidnapped by Grievous and killed by Grievous. Yeah. And they right. went back and changed it to uh, make it that Anakin kills shock T, which actually also ended up as a deleted scene. Anakin didn't kill Shaq-T. Uh, I believe she did when, she, when he attacks the temple. No. Oh, she was in the temple, huh? Well, well that's the thing. I think it was, that was the second plan. I think they both both ends of Shaq-T get removed from the movie. At first, it was Grievous supposed to kill her. They take it down. 
Connecticut. So I've seen that. I've seen that scene. Yeah. Right. No, it's it's. I think both ends up getting deleted. So it's something where uh, they they had a plan to kill her and they just never did. So um, I was gonna say in terms of uh, an honor. Yeah. Right quick, an honorable mention. Um, there was actually uh, where is it? Trying to remember. Um, actually, no. I'll skip the honorable mention. I'll say the one, the big one that I think I'm glad they cut is Tashi Station, which we have. Uh, yeah, I would agree with you, and that's probably a controversial one because everybody's like, there are there are big scenes. You know, we all grew up with these because mm -hmm. we all saw and swore to God was in the original release that never was. Every Star Wars book and magazine that came out between '77 and '80 had all those still images of Luke talking to Biggs, Luke looking through his uh, uh, viewfinder, looking at the battle above, yep. wearing the poncho, wearing the hat. So we all think we saw it, but in some ways, I, you know, looking back there, you know, sometimes you go like, well, you know, you, you don't, you're not impacting the pace. This is one instance where the pace really would have been impacted by adding all those scenes. Yeah, it would yeah, have been very much. so slow. Mm -hmm. Um, the other the other one I wanted to mention was um, C-3PO's trick. I think that's what they called it at the beginning of Empire Strikes Back where he rips the sign off the door and apparently there's like, they, they've got wampas stored <laughs> yeah. in the base for some reason that, again, they don't really explain that. It's a funny little thing, um, mm. but it, I think it would have interrupted the – Flow well, you would have you would have had to have the scene where the Wampas invade the base, and that looks right. awful. It yeah. looks horrible. You know everything they did with the Wampa, except for you know in the special edition, or you know just the shot of the face that they did in the original movie. That was the only good stuff with the Wampas. But when they were invaded the base, it just looked bad. So yeah, it would have made no sense to have three PO rip off the sign. You know um, if he didn't know Wampas were in there, but yeah, it just, you're right. It's just kind of goofy. I mean, uh, it's a good, if it's a goofy moment, you get the, a snowy opening the door, a white arm coming out, grabbing him by the head, dragging him in, the door closes, and the other two guys behind him are like, what the heck? And that's it. <laughs> it's very much, it's very much uh, uh, a beat from a comedy movie. Like, it yeah. looks better. And I think that was, uh, I think that might have gone over, you know, across the line with Irvin Kirshner saying, I needed humor without gags. And that kind of is a gag. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. So, like I said, I think it's tough to argue with, uh, I, you know, another one that I think is an honorable mention um, is the one in Return of the Jedi when the Emperor gives uh, Jerjerod or whatever, however pronounce mm -hmm. his name. Yeah. Uh, the order to blow up the moon. And he said, you know, we have battalions down there. We have our people down there. And it's like, too bad, so sad. And it's that it gets into that conflict of, you know, you're given an order when you're in the military. Do you have a moral obligation to, you know, ignore a bad order? Mm -hmm. You know, but I think that would have, just as much as I think that would have been cool, it would have taken you into a, uh, you would have, you just would have gone off into a tangent and forgotten about, you know, the other, you know, the other stuff that was going on um, and had to, right, because, had to contemplate that, like, you know, 
yeah, should, you know, should people ignore orders, you know, then, oh, crud, they just blew up the Death Star, you know, so. <laughs> right, because they cut it in between the space battle and at that moment, really looking at one dude thinking, you know, pondering uh, ethical dilemmas is not really what you want to see as TIE fighters and X-Wings are flying through the superstructure of the Death Star. The well, one, it, 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 I'm sorry, it also kind of sticks out like it would it would have stuck out, stuck out like a sore thumb because the Empire was all about following orders. Nobody disobeyed yeah. the orders. So mm -hmm. anyway, go ahead, Fredo. Now, I was going to say the, the other moment from Jedi that I wish I had put in, honorable mention wise, was when Vader flies back from the Superstar Destroyer to tell the Emperor that Luke is on Endor. And Jerjura confronts him at the door saying, and like all smug, like, you're not supposed to be here. And Vader just chokes him, moves him out the way, and just walks in. It's a small beat, but I love I love those little moments that kind of hint at his relationship with the Imperial officers. Because that then leads to when the, uh, Palpatine tells Vader, I told you to wait on the command ship. And you're like, mm. okay, so you don't need it. But it's just, I always love little moments like that that kind of show the contempt that a lot of the Empire uh, Imperial officers have for Vader and the fact that it's returning kind, that he doesn't care for it either. Well, all right. Well, that was a kind of a fun trip down memory lane. Um, so uh, if you have your favorite uh, deleted scenes um, or scenes that you're, say, thank the maker that they left out, um, let us know on Twitter, um, on Facebook, wherever, you know, either Hudat Jedi um podcast official feeds or either one of us you know just if you if you follow us personally um we'll always take a few minutes to talk star wars during the day um it happens on the reg so and that's right i just said on the reg I, yeah lucy just uh barked at me for you know being kind that's of right. douchey there so as well as you should as well yeah, as you should, as well as you should. Um, but uh, you can find us, our, our podcast on Podbean, on Apple Podcasts, on uh, Google Podcasts. Um, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Um, and yeah, I think that's about all the places you can find us. Uh, uh, by the way, uh, on just a side note, I uh, am excited about the Mario uh, games that are coming out. Um, I think we mentioned that earlier. Um, but I, like I said, I'm really getting quite addicted to my switch but dave i saw were you playing the original punch out oh yeah 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 i finally beat the silly thing <laughs> <laughs> i guess that i will never forget i'll never forget when i actually beat mike tyson in mike tyson's punch out it was like 7 30 in the morning and i'd woken up as i and like i remember sitting there on the ottoman playing it and i beat him and i screamed i'm sure i woke up everybody in the house because i beat mike tyson um so yeah Dave's, yeah I, yeah, was, yeah my wife was uh on a on a work call so i was like <laughs> kind of like silently screaming but uh very much the same reaction internally because it was just it's such a relief if you're ever able to pull that off because it's just such it's one of those video game feats that just you know it's like pie in the sky is it ever gonna happen and it, it finally happened for me at the age of 43 there you go. There you go. So I uh, hope everybody's finding ways to like us to keep yourselves sane during this uh, pandemic. And I hope you all have a great long weekend. I hope you're able to have a great long weekend. It's a holiday on Monday. Um, if you don't have to work, enjoy the day. If you have to work, I'm sorry. Um, 
maybe maybe come down with something and call in who knows uh, but until then we will see you uh, next week and until then we'll say who dat who dat and sign Alvin Kamara please Sean Payton uh, <laughs> we will talk to you guys next week my tongue